It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. What happens when a family member betrays us and we shut them out of our lives for years? Is it possible to let them back into our hearts? Today's guest, Laura Davis, joins us to share the story of her relationship with the mother who betrayed her. She teaches how healing between family members who have felt wrong by one another is not only possible, but can be the greatest joy of both their lives. Laura's books include The Courage to Heal and I Thought We'd Never Speak Again. Her new book is The Burning Light of Two Stars. Welcome, Laura. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here, Jen. So, Laura, to begin, would you start off by telling us a little bit about what happened to you in your life that put you on this journey of healing? Well, The Burning Light of Two Stars tells the story of my embattled relationship with my mother, our determination to love one another, and the dramatic and very surprising collision course we ended up on at the end of her life. When I was in my 20s, my mother and I experienced a terrible rift. And we spent the next 20 years struggling to find our way back to each other. And back then I would have said we had reconciled, but then my mother grew older and she called one day when she was almost 80 um, to announce that she was moving across the country to live in my town for the rest of her life. And suddenly we no longer had a 3,000 mile buffer between us. And at the same time, my mother began losing her mind to dementia. And her decline triggered every button I had. I mean, how could it not? She'd made those buttons. And becoming her caregiver brought up all the issues that had never been resolved between us. And yet I had made this promise to care for her for the rest of her life. So the story I I told is the story of what happened next. Could I find it in my heart to love her unconditionally? And despite everything that had happened in our history, was I actually capable of becoming the daughter she needed me to be? What you just described happens to so many of us in one degree or another. And, you know, sometimes these rifts take place because of something extremely traumatic and something that many would view as unforgivable. And sometimes these different types of arguments and and disagreements are over really silly things that we allow to consume our lives. And, and, you know, I actually experienced something like this with some family members where they just stop talking to me or other people. And, and often you don't even know why. So when these types of things happen, do you believe that we're able to push those emotions aside or, or even, you know, deal with them so that we can move forward together as a family? You know, it just depends. There's not one answer for everyone. And, you know, you're absolutely right that Um, For millions of people who are facing this kind of dilemma, it's not necessarily a huge betrayal, but it can be a small hurt that then gets amplified or held onto, and people don't have the skills to let go of something and move forward. Um, And sometimes it's a habitual pattern that just 
it's like something is the last straw. And I think, you know, in order to reconcile, both people have to want it to happen. Um, you know, one person on their own can definitely reach more peace inside themselves and they can shift their own behavior and that will change the dynamic in the relationship. But in order for the relationship itself to change, um, there has to be a shift on both parts. I think one of the the things that my mother and I had going for us, even though there was this huge betrayal in our past, is we both wanted to have a relationship with each other. Even when we were at our absolute lowest point and we were the most bitterly estranged, I still, you know, I thought about her every day and I could hear her voice in my head. And although I wouldn't have admitted it at the time, I really longed to make peace with her. So it, it really depends on the, um, the individual's involved, but I think there are, are many pathways towards uh, reconciliation. And it doesn't always look like, you know, a hallmark card in the end. Um, sometimes, you know, the best we can achieve may be coming to some kind of agreement, for instance, so that we have certain rules of engagement. So the family members can all attend a wedding together, you know, or they could all be at some other family event that matters. And it might be something like, you know, um, a daughter might say, you know, I'm coming to the wedding, but I'm not posing for any family pictures, or I'm not sitting at a table with dad, but I'll come, you know, or it might be certain terms that make it possible for grandparents to see their grandchildren. Um, and, and this is in a situation where there has been some kind of betrayal uh, and it, there's a, a lack of safety, but sometimes it's just stubbornness and uh, whether someone is willing to relinquish that, it, you know, it has a lot to do with how flexible are we as human beings? You know, have we developed some resilience um, where we have learned the skills to make peace over things that uh, get between people? You know, can we resolve a fight? Uh, some people can. Some people find it very, very challenging to do that. The people who are the most stubborn or find it the most challenging often have the, the idea that forgiveness means that you're excusing or accepting bad behavior, but really forgiveness is more for you. And it's, it's like you're describing, it's finding that peace within yourself so that you can move forward. And just because you reestablish a relationship with someone who hurt you, it doesn't mean you forgot that pain, but you're figuring out a way to move forward with that person in some type of peace. I think, you know, the, the, the biggest problem with forgiveness is how much it's pushed on people. Um, sometimes prematurely, you know, um, you know, in my family, there was um, had been sexual abuse, which is a very severe betrayal. And before I even had a chance to do my own healing process about this, this was decades ago, you know, the people in my family were like urging me to forgive um, and to move beyond it and to let it go. It happened in the past. But I think in order to forgive, you have to have really healed from the pain of whatever the betrayal or the hurt was. Um, and, and that puts you in a more um, magnanimous state where you can have more compassion for everyone involved and achieve a state of forgiveness. But for me, I would say that forgiveness is not the first step. Sometimes it's at the end of a long process of healing and coming to peace yourself. And then for me anyway, it was a something that rose up inside me almost like a gift, but it wasn't something I, I tried to make happen. Um, and it felt wonderful to forgive in my family, but it came after a lot of other stages, which included um, naming a violation that had occurred, um, talking about what had happened, 
breaking silence, grieving for what I had lost. Until I did all of those stages, I wasn't ready to forgive. Do you find now that after having a, a walled heart, a protected heart, are you able to open it again now? Well, you know, that's that question of when you have good reason to close your heart, can you open it again? That That's the journey that I really wrote about in my book is, is, is it possible to do that when you've been hurt very badly? And, you know, for me, the answer was yes, but it was a lot of work. It took many years. It's not, you can't like legislate your heart to open. One of the things that happened between my mother and I, and this was to my mother's credit, and I think it made a huge difference, is that I had moved pretty much as far away from her as I could get without crossing an ocean. So I grew up in New Jersey. I ended up in California. So we were living 3,000 miles away. And we had a very difficult history between us with a lot of bitterness and anger and judgment. And at one point, my mother said to me, she said, you know, if we don't do something about the geographical distance between us, we will never reconcile. Because if we only see each other, you know, once a year, and those visits usually uh, would end up in a big fight with a lot of conflict. She said, if we only see each other once a year, all we're going to have is like 20 years of a difficult past. And so she decided, and I was not really supportive at first, but she started coming out to California for a couple of months every winter. And this was instigated by my first child, who was born when I was 36 years old. And I think she really wanted to be a grandmother to him. And I actually really wanted her to be his grandmother, I think, more than anything. And I think this is a pretty common story. Um, grandchildren, for us, was a real motivator for both of us to work harder at our reconciliation. And so she started coming in the winter. She would rent her own little apartment. And my mother was a very social person. She would get engaged in a lot of activities. And she would leave the bitter New Jersey winters, and she would come out to California. And, you know, at first, I didn't really welcome her. I mean, I didn't lift a finger to help her. I didn't help her find a place to live. I was very ambivalent. Um, but she came, and what we started to do is we agreed to disagree about the biggest hot-button issue between us that was really never going to be resolved. And we started to focus on some of the things that we had in common. For instance, my mother and I both loved the movies. And she was an actor, and we both loved going to the theater. And, of course, we both loved spending time with my son, um, her grandson. And so we started, and we liked to cook together. So we would, we would get together for a holiday, and we would spend the day in the kitchen. And we started reinforcing the things that actually worked between us. And we stopped trying to convince each other that one was right and the other was wrong. And it took many years, I would say about nine years of these visits, things gradually started to change. At first, there still were so many triggers. You know, she would make one comment and I would, you know, withdraw. I would make one wrong comment and she would explode. And then we would retreat into our corners. But as time went on, there started to be more trust between us. And I remember this one time about nine years into this process of her coming for these two-month visits in my town, we had a fight. And the next day, I went over to visit her, um, and we always played cards. That was something we had in common. We loved playing 500 Grammy, and we, I just dealt out a hand of cards. And I realized that we had reached a point where it's not that we wouldn't fight, but that we could fight. And that the fact that we could have a fight and it wouldn't risk our entire relationship, to me, was the moment I realized that we really had reconciled. 
Well, and that's when you know you have a, a real relationship, when you can have disagreements and still be part of the relationship. And what I love about everything you just described to us, and, and there were so many wonderful points that you made, you know, that you both decided the relationship was worth it, that rather than focusing on the, the heated issue, which is what most of us do in trying to maintain a relationship, we stick with the big issue, but you did the opposite of what we usually do. You found the common ground and the things that that you were able to work on, the, the little things that really are big, but those little things that were able to build and reinforce and help you grow that relationship. And and I think that you just made so many wonderful points in this discussion. Yeah, I remember this one time, um, my mother had rented a place that didn't have a washer and dryer. And so I invited her to bring her laundry over. And so she dropped off her laundry one day. And I remember I was, you know, I was working in my office. I was writing and I was doing her laundry and I went in the house and I just lifted these wet sheets and shirts and pants from the washer and put them in the dryer um, and then I was folding them later. And I, as I did it, I just started to think about all the clothes she had washed for me, you know, and all the little, the little onesies and the little, the clothes she had sewn for me when I was a little girl and, and all, and it was such a tender moment of just such a simple little activity. And it was private, you know, it wasn't something I did with her. It was just by myself folding clothes, feeling this kind of generational tie and I, I started weeping, you know, and I, I never told anyone about that. But it was one of those moments where just something, the rift healed a little bit from a very, very simple activity. You know, I'm thinking about a story about a, a woman I interviewed once, and she had had a, a very severe rift in her family because of alcoholism and abuse. And I mean, really extreme. And she was the only person in the family. I think there were six siblings who spoke out about it. And she was basically cast out and no one would speak to her. And she moved far away and she, you know, spent the next 20 or 30 years basically healing and establishing her own life separate from her family. And then she got to a certain age and she started thinking about her mother. Mother was getting quite elderly and she really wanted to connect with her. And her mother was loved the Bible and there was a particular Bible verse that she really liked. And everyone in that family was very handy, and they either sewed or did needlework or cruel or crocheting. And this woman um, did needlework, and she got a sampler that had that psalm that her mother loved. And she said every day for six months she would sit down in the evening and she would stitch that sampler. And she said she really, with every stitch, she just put love into that sampler. And she finished it, and then she mailed it off to her mother as a gift. And that year, she got invited for the first time in decades to Christmas. She went to Christmas, um, and there was that sampler framed on the wall at a very prominent place. And I just was, um, I was so touched by that story of, you know, we don't really know what it's going to be, but it was her intention. And I believe that love that she sewed into that sampler really made a difference. It, it demonstrated her love. It wasn't with words. Sometimes when we're in these situations, words fail us, you know, because we get into the same rut. It's like a, a groove in a record and we just can't get out of it. We have our position. They have their position. And we set these rules like, unless you do X, I'm not speaking to you. And sometimes it, it really, there's like an inside job first and it enables 
unexpected reconciliations to occur, and that was one. Laura, what do you say to someone who is in a situation where they're having a disagreement with a family member or even a friend, and the other person is not at all receptive to working on the relationship, and you really love and care about this person. What do you say to someone to help them accept that the relationship may never heal? We don't get to control other people. You know, we we really don't. But we can control ourselves. And by that, I mean, I think there's a lot of, you know, with my mother, one of the things I had to do is I had I had this kind of habitual pattern of focusing on her negative qualities, you know, like any mistake she ever made from tiny little trespasses to the hugest betrayal. In my mind, they were set in stone. And I would repeat those stories over and over and over for decades so that I, I presented my mother really as an ogre, which she wasn't. I mean, she had some failings. She also had some wonderful qualities, but I fixated on the negative. Um, and and my, my spouse actually pointed it out to me one day, you know, that, that I was doing that and confronted me about it. And I started really a conscious effort to focus on her positive traits, to focus on the good, and to be able to see her not just as my mother and kind of my foil, but, it, you know, as I got older and I think more mature, I was able to almost get a more like global view. I looked at all the forces that had shaped her. I looked at, you know, I come from a, a Jewish family and there was a lot of trauma that had been passed down through the generations. So I looked at, you know, the epigenetics of this trauma that had come through the family line and through the women uh, in the family line. And I thought about, you know, how she had been raised and what she had dealt with and the era in which she grew up. And suddenly her story of what shaped her and what, what brought about her values and her limitations and also her strength from a much bigger vantage point than just my mother versus me. Um, so I think that that kind of work of healing the relationship is an inside job and is not reliant on the other per- person's willingness. And, you know, I think ultimately there are definitely, you know, reconciliation can be possible in really unexpected situations like mine with my mother. But there are also many situations where it actually, an actual reconciliation directly with the other person is impossible, or not just impossible, but uh, inadvisable. You know, maybe having a relationship with that person means that you're continually going to be you know, emotionally abused, or you're continually going to be betrayed, or you're continually going to be hurt and not able to establish um, yourself. So sometimes it's important to have boundaries with someone. And there are certain people, it's really better not to reconcile with. And in those cases, there was one woman who was in that kind of situation, and she did a lot of spiritual work inside herself. Um, And I think she really did come to a place of forgiveness, Ultimately, and the way she put it, she said, you know, with my parents, she said, I had to close the door, but I left the porch light on. And I, I just thought that was very beautiful, you know, that it, it was really on, a, on an inside level. She had compassion. She was able to get to a place of caring and compassion for them, even though she believed, and I think rightly so in her situation, that a direct relationship was not possible. Um, you know, these people had abused her. They had abused her children. Uh, they were not changing. Um, but she was able to get to that point, and it gave her peace. And I think, you know, the the fourth type of reconciliation, it's, it's not always, you know, the violins playing and the wonderful connection, 
Sometimes it's what we could do on the inside to reach that place of compassion and that place of peace. And, you know, the opposite of estrangement um, is not reconciliation, it's peace. So that's really what we want. We want to find that place of peace with the relationship at whatever level it ends up. The book is The Burning Light of Two Stars. If you would like to get more information about Laura and her work, you can visit lauradavis.net. Laura, in about 30 seconds or less, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? I'd like to tell them that you never know what the ultimate outcome will be and that there are surprises in life if we are open to them um, and that you know, having an open heart and doing the work to open heart after an injury is absolutely worth it. Um, I'd also like to tell people that I, I posted the um, first five chapters of the book on my website and I invite them to go read it um, because people have contacted me um, and they say things like, you know, I'm going to have to take care of my mother and I've been dreading it. And now I'm thinking about it as an opportunity. Laura, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in.